Uh, what an honor and privilege it is to speak uh, here this morning and a joy to be together. Uh, I just want to say a huge thank you to our worship team this morning. Um, the songs you chose this morning allowed us once again to fix our eyes on the character and nature and the person of Jesus. And there's a, there's a cry in every single one of us, isn't there, as disciples of Christ to fix our eyes upon him because he's beautiful. He's wonderful in all of his ways. He's glorious. He's majestic. He is light. He is life. And when we get drawn to him, so worship team, thank you so much for setting a platform this morning. Of course, everything we're doing this morning is worship anyway. We haven't just finished our worship. We're as much worshiping now as we hear the word of God and we are listening to what God wants to say to us this morning. It's as much our worship. So is going from this place this morning. As we leave this place, we are worshiping as we take the light of Christ to wherever God has placed us. This morning, of course, is Remembrance Sunday. At the end of our service this morning, we're going to pause and we're going to reflect. We're going to thank God for those who've given their life for the freedom that you and I uh, are standing in today. We're going to take a moment to pause and reflect. But before that, I just want to let you into a bit of my world, really, for the next 30 minutes or so. And what God's been speaking to me and the challenge that I've gone on, I suppose, over the last few months and I'm going on, uh, it's the uh, life of a disciple, isn't it? That we're always growing and we're always being discipled. And uh, I don't know about you, but I got to a place in my life where doing the Christian thing became very, very complex. It has multiple aspects to it, doesn't it? We are active disciples. We are busy doing things. And over the course of this year, I felt a challenge by God once again to return to the centrality of our Christian faith. And today I'm calling it the centrality of the gospel. How in my life is the gospel becoming central to everything that I am and everything that I do. And I believe this morning I've got a word for all of us. I believe it's a word most definitely that God's doing in me, shaping me, changing me. Uh, I certainly haven't got all of this together. There's some things that I'm learning. And because I'm a visual learner, I want to show you some things that I visualize it as as well. Um, but this morning I'd love us all to go on a bit of a journey where we once again just reflect, have I lost the centrality of the gospel of Christ in my life? Or is it the thing that propels me forward into every aspect of my life. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to come with me. We're going to turn to uh, Romans chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read the, the opening words of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And we're going to uh, read really what is the mandate on Paul's life. We're going to read Romans chapter 1, first seven verses, and then we're going to go a little bit further on in that chapter as well. And we're going to see how the gospel of Jesus is central to the core of this man. And therefore, if it's the center of his life, how can we learn from that to be the center of our lives as well? So this is Romans chapter one, first seven verses. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel that he, God, had promised beforehand through God's prophets in the holy scriptures regarding God's son, who, to, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And then he names him, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, Jesus, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his, Jesus's, name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to just jump on now, seven verses. We're going to go to verse 14. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. You can place yourself in one of those if you would wish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So a quick overview of Romans. Romans was a book written by Paul, a letter to the church in Rome. The church in Rome at the time was predominantly a house church, facing a bit of persecution. And in that moment, Paul writes a wonderful vision, really, of what it is to be caught up in the grace and love of Jesus Christ. He really starts to unpack that actually there's a fundamental problem at the core of humanity. We know it as the word sin. And also, through this letter, he starts to eloquently describe how God is saving us from that problem. And then in verse one, Paul announces his mandate, his work, his mission. This is what I am here to do. And he says this, I'm really here to proclaim the gospel both in word and deed. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. My title today is The Gospel-Centered Life. The Gospel-Centered Life. And I'm going to try and break those, that title down across the course of the next few minutes and really begin to unpack what I mean by that phrase. What is it to live a gospel-centered life? Well, first of all, let's describe what I mean by the gospel. We use that term all the time, don't we? It's a piece of word or language that you and I perhaps are very used to in church. You know, we're a gospel church, really. We speak the gospel all the time. We sang the gospel this morning. We sang a, a version of the Apostles' Creed this morning, and we believe. We sing the works of Jesus out so many times. We preach it. We hear it. We know that we're a gospel people. But what does it mean to employ the gospel at the center of our lives? So what do I mean by gospel? Well, three thoughts. The first is good news. Literally, gospel means good news. You know that, many of us know that particular phrase. The old English would literally have been good spell, good news. It's the literal translation of the Greek word, uh, which means good news. The Greek word, euangelion, and I obviously am not a professor of Greek. But what does it mean to have the center of the gospel. What is the center of the gospel? If, you know, it says in scripture, you know, to be ready to give an account for your faith, to be ready to eloquently say what the gospel is. So what is the center of the gospel to you and I? Well, first and foremost, the gospel is Jesus Christ lived, was crucified, was buried, was resurrected, ascended, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. Those are facts. That isn't a myth, that is a fact. It's a real history, and it happened for every single one of us. So I want us to begin to understand that the centrality of the gospel is the work of Jesus Christ, and the two greatest steps of that is he was crucified and he rose again. So the centrality of the gospel in our lives is that Jesus died 
and rose again. And I wonder in my life whether every so often I lose that as central. I think more about the activity of what I'm doing for God, or I think more about how I'm trying to connect with God. But actually the centrality of the gospel in our lives is that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended, and is now seated, resurrected, and victorious at the right hand of the Father. And that is Jesus that we worship today, the Jesus who did every part of that narrative, that story for you and I. This morning, it is good news. It's good news because we're drawn right into the center of that story. We're drawn right into the narrative that Jesus was thinking of and um, speaking out as he went through every step of that. It says throughout scripture that it was predestined that you and I are caught up in that story. It was because of us. It's good news to each and every one of us. But Romans goes on to say that this gospel is also, secondly, the power of God. The power of God. Romans 1 verse 16, we've just read it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is nothing less than the power of God. So often we pray, don't we? God, will we see your power? May your power be made known. May your power be manifest in us. May we experience your power. And again, when we bring the gospel to the center of our lives, we experience the power of God. And it's power of God that brings salvation. It's the power of God that brings salvation. So often we think of our evangelism strategies, or we think about, can I get somebody onto Alpha in order that they'll hear the gospel of Christ? And all of those things are incredible and wonderful tools in our hand. But let's not forget that those tools don't save people. It's the power of the gospel that saves people. It's the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you and I that has saved us and is saving us each and every day. Now, please don't mishear me. We should be wonderful advocates and great invitational culture for things like Alpha because it's an incredible tool in our hands to present and place the gospel in front of people. But let's remember that each and every one of us has the good news and can become those who give an account of the good news wherever God has placed us. So it's the power. The gospel is God's appointed means for personal and communal transformation. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know this as well? The gospel is growing and is fruitful. In Colossians 1 verse 6, it's, uh, verse 6 it says this, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So the gospel can grow in our lives. I'm going to show you some images of what I believe that to look like in my own visual learner way of thinking. It's also the door and the path. At the end of our service today, we're going to use and speak out the gospel in this place as a door to salvation. It's a root of um, receiving Jesus and saying, I believe in this. I believe in this man. But not only is it the door, it's also the path that you and I as disciples of Christ get to walk along. You see, the gospel isn't just for our salvation as one moment of time. The gospel is for our salvation that continues day in, day out. You and I are continually being saved. We are continually being discipled. And it is the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ, that is at the center of who we are 
that disciples us and shapes us and changes us and molds us and continually saves us. So it's both the door and the past. It's not just the means of our salvation, but it's the means of our transformation. It's what makes us right with God. We call that word justification. And it's what sets us free to delight in God. We call that sanctification. So the gospel is core to each and every one of us. The other thing I want to say this morning, it's Paul's top priority. I don't know if you've, when you've read Paul's letters, you, ex, you experience the excitement and also the passion he has for the gospel of Christ, the gospel. He speaks about it so eloquently in so many places. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, he says this, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The man and person of Jesus and the act of Jesus, the greatest act of all time, his death and resurrection. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16, Paul again saying, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I do not preach the gospel. And I wonder for myself what that means to me in my life Am I someone who's compelled by the gospel? And am I someone who gives my life to preaching the gospel wherever God has placed me, whether that's on a platform? But for many of us, the platform doesn't look like this in our lives. It's our family or our workplace. But what does it look like to preach and have the centrality of the gospel running through it? To the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, he says this, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I feel so challenged, I boast about so many things. I feel so nervous getting up here on this morning and I know when I get down from this platform, I'll also be wanting to experience a little bit of, well done Howard, you did good this morning. But I could boast in that as well. I could make that become part of my righteousness or part of the activity of my life. I wonder what your things are. Maybe yours isn't a platform like this, but maybe there's things in your life where you know I'm actually having to rely on the boasting of human traits. But here, Paul so brilliantly says once again, I can only boast in one thing, and that's the work and the power, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when I talk about the gospel this morning, I'm talking about Jesus. Right at the core of our faith is a man And it's a man who went through some incredible acts of sacrifice for you and for I. He lived, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, he rose again. He is now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. So when this morning we talk about the gospel, I want you to picture Jesus in all of those stages. So now let's concentrate on that word centered. And here's my visual learning bit. So what do I mean by the word centered? Well, I'm gonna draw you to a couple of images. So the first image I'll draw you to is an image of the solar system. So as I imagine the solar system, or as I know of the solar system, I'm not a scientist, but I know a little bit about it. I know that the sun is the center of the solar system. Everything by gravitational pull is held to the sun. Everything revolves around the sun. The sun is the brightness in the center of the solar system. There's a wonderful line in that song, No Other Name, this morning that sang that actually Jesus is brighter than the sun. But again, in my visual learning, I can think, okay, so how in the whole course of history does everything circle around the gospel of Christ? How is everything held by the gravitational pull of the gospel of Christ? And then I can interpret that for my own personal life. 
How is my personal walk with Jesus held by the gravitational pull of the gospel of Christ? My money, my relationships, my family, my parenting, my work, my rest, my exercise. How is it all related and held by the gravitational pull of Jesus Christ? Because if it isn't held by that gravitational pull, it just flies off into a nothingness. So the sun and our solar system, for me, is a good way of imagining this centeredness of the gospel. I've got another visual image. Steve, you can come and help me. So I want you to imagine now a line, a line that extends from the very beginning of time to the future. It's, an, it's a line from everlasting to everlasting. The whole course of history sits upon this line. I've got a nice visual representation behind us. Thank you so much, gents. This line stretches and it is a line of reality. Everything has taken place on this line. This line, as you can see over one side, continues. We don't know where that line's gonna end up and finish. And we don't know where it actually started other than what we describe as creation. There is this line of history and everything sits upon this line. Both our Christian faith and everything else outside of that Christian faith. And the way that I imagine our imagery today is right at the center point of this line is the word, the gospel. If it'll go any tighter, gents, that'd be really helpful. Great, the gospel at the center of this line. And this line is history, it is future, it's everything. But then you can place the Bible onto this line as well. When I look at the Bible and I look at the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament points towards the gospel. It's a prophetic statement towards what is coming. But then everything beyond that act of Jesus Christ pushes forward from the gospel. You and I sit somewhere on this line in the biblical narrative that says we be only are here because of the work of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is center to everything that we believe, but it's center to everything that we understand in the very fabric of the earth. Before Christ came, everything was designed to lead toward and prepare for the gospel. And once he'd acted out all that he needed to do upon the cross, everything after the cross and the resurrection is made possible because of the cross. The gospel is central to it all. But now I want you to imagine this line in a completely different way. So I now want you to imagine this line as the gospel. And the line of the gospel now um, has an interpretation in our own life. And the gospel runs central all the way through every part of our lives as disciples of Christ. So it may run central through our money. That's why I never put the washing up at home. It might run central through our money. We're designed as people to allow the gospel to run central through our relationships. We're designed as disciples of Christ to allow the gospel to run central through our work or our career. We're designed to have the gospel running centrally through our rest in Christ. We're designed to allow the gospel to run centrally through our aspirations and our hopes and our dreams. And we're designed as people of God to allow the gospel to be at the center and run right through our families, right through our parenting, right through all that we do. Much of the things that you and I struggle with in life is because we've not allowed ourselves to understand and be developed as disciples to allow the gospel 
to run through these areas. Much of the problem that I've experienced in finances over my life is because I didn't submit them to the gospel of Christ and allow the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to run all the way through it. For some of you, as you're thinking maybe about your family at this moment of time, you're thinking, actually, if I was able to submit to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and bring that into the center of my family, I could see that Jesus would do a work in that. What about my work? Seeing that as the calling and allowing the gospel to flow centrally through where God has placed me. When I go into the office tomorrow, I go into the university where I'm working. What if I could understand that the gospel is running all the way through that? The work of Jesus Christ is central to it and is embedded all the way through it. In fact, I'm only there because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What if I could begin to understand that? So life, for me, is about beginning to learn and beginning to um, be discipled in allowing the gospel to run all the way through every part of it. And of course, there's some great words that we use in and around all that. As disciples, we use submission. How can I submit to Jesus in all of these areas? Disciple, how can I be discipled in all of these areas? But I know that there are areas in my life that I struggle with in all of this stuff. And the more that I... Um, get developed as a disciple, the more I know that actually I'm becoming, (laughs) the sin in me is deeper than I thought it was. You know, there's stuff in me that is deeper than um, I thought was just the surface level stuff or just my behaviours. There's attitudes within me that rear their ugly head all the time. And how can I let the gospel speak to those and do a work to those? So I've, um, over the course of this year, found and discovered some uh, models or images that can really help with this and have helped me to begin to believe and understand that the gospel runs all the way through it. And if it does, how can I be developed in that and how can I allow it to grow? So we've got a couple of images that are going to come up. So the gospel is running throughout history. We know that. We've just seen that. It runs all the time. It is time moving forward and it's happening because of the great works of Jesus Christ. And then there's a moment in our lives where we're called to a moment of decision. We're going to have a moment at the end of this service that if you've not yet made that decision, we're going to put an invitation in front of you to say there's a moment where you can decide to We call it conversion, but you can decide to submit your life to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. And at that moment, two realities begin to start in our thinking. One is that we become aware or we start to become aware of how holy God is. We become a people of God who become uh, aware that we are not like God. He is set apart and he he is holy. But we also become aware that in our own lives, there is flesh and sin that is who I am. And those things become real stark realities. God is God and I am who I am. And I want to show you in our next image that the beauty of the gospel is that the gospel bridges the gap between those two realities. So the cross of Jesus Christ, as we are discipled in Christ, is designed in our viewpoint to get bigger and bigger. Of course, in reality, God's holiness isn't getting bigger. It's just our awareness of his holiness is getting bigger. We are aware as we journey with God that he is is more holy than we could have ever imagined. That journey should never stop as disciples of Christ. But accompanying that is the awareness that the level of sin that we have within us is deeper than we ever thought it was. You know, we might deal with something that looks like a behavior in a surface level, but there's a core attribute that runs deeper in me that isn't actually how God designs. And the cross of Jesus bridges the gap 
between the holiness of God and my sinful nature. The problem for me, though, is that that sinful remnant within me that is active all the time brings about some behaviours in my life that actually say more and more so that I, I don't want to look at that sin stuff. I actually want to pretend it's not as bad as it is. And actually, the more and more I look at God, the less and less I can fathom him. So I actually have to make him a bit smaller in order that I can understand it. We're going to have a look at our next image on there because there's a problem. I minimize God's perfect holiness and I elevate my own righteousness. And we do this through two ways. The first is that we begin to live a life of pretending. So in the area of sin, we begin to pretend things like, I'm not really that bad. We become dishonest. Start using comparison. Well, I'm not as bad as that person, so I'm doing all right. This is the, this is the state of my heart. I start to make excuses. I just can't help it. It's how I am. It's how I've been designed. Those kind of phrases. Or then I use false righteousness, things like this. Well, here's all the good things I've done. You know, that kind of language. And I'm not saying like, this is the visible outworking. It's, this is the narrative that's going on in our heads all the time. This is the narrative, it's the, the sin that uh, pervades within us. It's screaming out. So we begin to pretend. But we also begin to perform. We begin to live a performance mentality. Performance minimizes God's holiness by reducing his standard to something that we can meet. In other words, we make it about what are we doing to receive the um, affirmation of God. We begin to become pretenders and performers. And I know as I look at the state of my heart that I'm so prone to these two attributes. I'm so prone to these two things happening in my life. I don't know about you as you look at it and you think actually, yeah, I can see myself pretending in that area of sin. Sin's so ugly, I don't want to have to actually um, look at it enough to actually um, say before God, it's that deep, God. I just want to deal with the surface level stuff. Or I feel so good when people say, well done. Or I found my righteousness through um, my career. Or I found my righteousness through handling money well. Or I found my righteousness through bringing my kids up well. Or I found my righteousness through having it all together doing the Christian walk really well and knowing what it is to behave well. But actually you and I as disciples of Christ aren't designed to shrink and minimize the cross. That's sinful. We're designed to grow further in our realization that sin goes deeper and that his holiness is bigger and bigger and bigger than I ever believed or ever knew. And as we grow through our discipleship journey, our awareness of those two things begins to get wider. The thing with sin is that we are consciously not wanting to open our hearts up to each other around that stuff. We consciously don't really want to say to each other, do you know what, it's pretty deep, this stuff. I need to deal, I need to see Jesus' forgiveness at the deep level of who I am. And then we start to get self-righteous and all the sort of things, well, I've got it all together, I'm all fine. Uh, you know, if I can turn up on a Sunday and everything's going to look good, uh, it'll be fine, we'll be okay. But Jesus wants to deal with it all and the cross deals with it all. The cross deals with it all. You see, if we can begin to move ourselves from performing and pretending, we can lead ourselves to a place of worship. 
Because what happens is we begin to realize that the cross of Jesus Christ is far deeper than we ever thought it was. It goes to far greater places than we ever thought it does. It doesn't just deal with my surface level sin, but it goes right to the very core of who I am and actually begins to forgive and restore and work on those sort of areas that I didn't even know needed work upon. It gets right into the root of shame, right into the root of guilt. The cross of Jesus Christ, when I begin to recognize that God is so holy and I begin to recognize that actually I'm so far away from that but I stop pretending and I stop performing the cross of Jesus Christ is allowed to bridge the gap and allowed to grow bigger in my understanding and my awareness and that for me this year has been the journey that I've been on the journey that I am learning but the beauty of this is how do we do it are there some steps that we can do so how do we lead a gospel-centered life well I've begun to understand that actually there's two uh, ways that God has given me to begin to step into a greater understanding of the depth of the cross and the depth of the power of the gospel in my life. The first is to repent whenever I perform or I pretend. And the second is to believe. And I've begun to understand that there's two areas that I can begin to believe in that actually will allow me to grow in my understanding of the depth of the gospel and allow the gospel to run all the way through the center of my life. The first is what we understand theologically as passive righteousness. In other words, the righteousness of God that has been achieved through Jesus Christ. So when God looks at us, the Father God looks at us, he sees us as righteous because he sees the righteous Jesus in us. And that's an incredibly powerful a mechanism for us to begin to believe and understand, to begin to change and shape our performance mentality. So the more that we try and perform to receive God's righteousness, the less we'll actually receive it. But the more we begin to believe that he has already done it and we can understand his righteousness in our lives and begin to speak it out and live it out, we begin to become less poor performance minded, performance-driven people, and we begin to get rest in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But the second, and we preach this and we say this from the platform in no, numerous different ways and have done over the number of years now, but it's to understand that we are adopted. You see, the righteousness of God speaks into our performance mentality, but the adoption of God speaks into our identity in Christ. When we begin to understand and believe and begin to practice our adoption as sons and daughters in Christ, we begin to see our pretending dissipate because we're fully aware that he through the cross has purchased our adoption. When we continue to repent of our orphan-like mentality and by faith we cling to the gospel promise that we're adopted as God's children, we begin to change that model and our understanding of what it is to be a child of God. God wants to speak right into the core of our righteousness through Christ and our identity as adopted sons and daughters. And for me, it's become a regular pattern of behavior, daily, repenting and believing, repenting and believing. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. For me, it's about building, I said this a couple of weeks ago, and something else, about building a new muscle memory. It's actually believing a new pattern of behavior in my life has become repenting of any pretending or any performing and believing. Believing that I'm righteous because of Jesus and believing that I am a son in him, adopted into his family. 
So this gospel-centered life, it begins at conversion, it grows through discipleship, but finally it leads to mission. And this is the area that I am growing in and um, being developed in. You see, we're not designed as people to get all of this understanding and knowledge and growth in Christ as a disciple and then hold it to ourselves. You see, the gospel runs right through the center of it all, both personally and communally. So it runs through the center of this city. It runs through the center of this church. It runs through the center of all that God has placed us into. But I don't know about you, but I've found over my life that mission has been one of those things that I feel or have been asked to be compelled to do. It's become an action. It's become something that is asked of me by God. But actually, the more and more that I'm beginning to understand the gospel running through my life, I'm beginning to understand that mission is just the overflow of gospel running through me. It's not, a, uh, it's not an action that's required of me. It's an overflow that I can't help but be. So wherever God places me, I'm beginning to learn to live as missional in that environment. Not to do because it will make me any more righteous, but because it's an overflow of what Christ is doing in me and through me. It says in Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's the essence of the gospel. You're called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. In other words, don't keep it to ourselves. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. Our body here is a great training ground for that serving, but we're called to serve wherever God has placed us. We're called to live out this great mandate of God, this great mission of him, with the gospel running right the way through the center of it, wherever God has placed us. Mission is not a duty, but a natural overflow of the gospel's work inside of us. And I said right at the beginning, I'm on a journey of all of this. I still mentally think of, I've got to do a bit of mission, uh, whereas actually, I want to allow the gospel to shape me and change me, to allow this to be the overflow of my life. And I'd love us as the body of Christ here to go on a similar journey together. So how do we put this into practice? So if the gospel is something that's going on in our life, then it bears fruit in our lives. The gospel at work in us is evident in multiple ways, but maybe here's a few of them. So we show hospitality to our neighbours, not because the church tells us to do it, but because the gospel's flowing through us and we're missional because of the gospel. We're quick to forgive. We live lives of forgiveness of one another, but also where God's placed us because the gospel runs through us. We have a ministry of reconciliation because that's what Jesus did. He reconciled us to the Father and therefore, as the gospel runs through us, we're reconcilers wherever God has placed us. We pray for and engage with our colleagues. Wonder what that looks like in our workplace when the gospel runs through me. My life as a reconciler prays for those people that I'm working with that day. I share the gospel with a family member. Maybe I serve someone in poverty. Maybe I give generously. Maybe I, keep, I take the courage to, to speak an unpopular truth. Maybe I listen to other people's voice uh, viewpoints with compassion. And maybe I produce work products that help other people thrive. When I begin to understand, it's not about me having to do something to earn God's favor, but it's because the gospel runs all the way through the center of it all, that actually he's called me to do whatever he's placed me, wherever he's placed me, for his glory and to see his gospel extended wherever we are. This morning, uh, we're going to stop and pause for a couple of minutes in, in five minutes' time. But I want to just bring us to two moments of prayer before that. The first is I want to, in this place, 
have an opportunity for that doorway to this gospel. The doorway of the gospel being at work in your life. The great work of Jesus when he lived, he died, he was resurrected, he ascended, he was buried, he resurrected, he ascended and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. I'd love to give an opportunity if you have yet to experience stepping into that story and um, making a commitment to Jesus. I'd love to give an opportunity. And then the second prayer this morning, I'd love to pray for each of us this morning. If we've been challenged to allow the gospel to run through us and we've been inspired in some way by the gospel again, I'd love us to go from this place empowered by the gospel with a few things to change us and shape us. Church, we're gonna put a prayer up on the screen. I'd love every one of us to pray this this morning. Uh, We're gonna speak it out loud. And then at the end of this prayer, I'd love every one of us to bow our heads. And if this morning you'd love to respond through this prayer, you've said this prayer for the very first time, I'd love you to raise your hand in this place because we'd want to bring a book to you. And then I'm gonna pray for each and every person in this place. And then we're gonna pause and reflect. So let's pray this prayer together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Wonderful church, let's bow our heads in this place. This morning, if you've said that prayer for the very first time, I'd love you to raise your hand boldly in this place because we'd love to bring a book to you and help you with that decision this morning. I'm looking in the balcony first. Is there anyone here who's made that decision to say, I've prayed the prayer for the first time. I want to receive this gospel into my life. Wonderful, and downstairs this morning. great let's pray father i thank you for your gospel i thank you for this incredible good news message that we've all received in this place and i pray lord that your gospel will grow i pray it will bear fruit in our lives i pray for each of my brothers and sisters in christ that we'll understand what it is to be people who don't have to do because we are our identity as sons and daughters and we'll be people who don't have to act in order to earn our righteousness but we'll allow the gospel to run through us Thank you, Father, for your gospel at work in us. Thank you, Lord, that today it is powerful and we step and stand in the transformative power of the gospel this morning. In your mighty and precious name, amen. Amen. Paul.